Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. Make the fill in the blanks as easy as possible tonight. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction, loveth knowledge. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. Tonight, I will flip the coin from what we discussed last Wednesday. We talked about hating the things that God hates. And tonight, uh, I'm going to endeavor to teach to you loving the things that God loves. How many want to love, love what God loves? Hallelujah. There are things that God hates and we should hate, but it shouldn't be a one-dimensional relationship with God. We should understand that we serve a God of love. So relationships, if you're following in your syllabus, relationships mature and develop because of common likes and dislikes. Hallelujah. It is the same way in our relationship with God. We grow closer to Him as we understand what He likes and what He dislikes. But it behooves us to have an awareness of those likes and dislikes because it will cause us to alter our behavior. Once you understand and come into an understanding of what the Word of God says about something, it, it forms an attitude, it forms a behavior in us as born-again Christians that our behavior becomes altered according to what God demands. Not what we think or not necessarily our interpretation, but what does the Word say? And once this happens, we begin to change our habits, our actions, to conform to behavior that is in harmony with His likes and His dislikes. If we are to be successful in living for God, we must not only hate what He hates, but also love what He loves. This can be a struggle for many people. It's not too difficult to recognize and hate those things which God hates. I don't want to be a church known just by what we don't do. Can I get a that that's kind of been a stigma uh, that that has kind of been a cloud for many years. Yes, we serve a God that hates certain things, and therefore we hate certain things. But let's don't leave a people. Let's don't leave ourselves hopeless and helpless when we also serve a God that loves us and has so much for us that we have access to, and we should be known more for the love of God, what we can do, what we can experience. Come on, somebody say amen. It is, 
It is really not even difficult to recognize the things which God loves. The formidable challenge is in loving those things when we recognize them. Especially when we realize that many of the things which God loves involves people. 1 John 4 and 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Notice that in the second half of the verse, the writer directly correlates our being born of God to having the ability to love. This helps us to realize that if we are to really know God, then we must love the things that He loves. It is impossible to adequately cover everything tonight that God loves in one message. But however, I plan to address some key things that God loves from which many other things He loves will flow. Okay? For the purpose of laying a foundation tonight, we want to look at three specific things that God loves. Everybody say people. Everybody say the church. Everybody say judgment. Those are things that God loves. God loves people. Somebody say people. No scripture illustrates this point more than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse number 17 Father makes us aware that God does not hate people. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Had God hated people, He would have condemned humanity. He would have offered no means of salvation if God would have hated humanity. But aren't you glad tonight that God loves people? But I'm glad that God loves me. And I hope you're, you're thankful that God loves me. But let's, let's add a little bit more on this. Because sometimes this is, it kind of stumbles us up sometimes. God loves all people. God has never been, nor will He ever be, subject to the biases and prejudices that people have one toward another. Acts 10.34 Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Aren't you thankful he's not a respecter of persons? That plainly tells us that God loves all people equally. Now if we are to love the things which God loves, we must first develop a love for all people equally. Civil wars, world wars, World wars, family disputes, riots, and rebellions have all occurred because of one people's unacceptance to another. It is said, how many know the Hatfield and McCoys? Brother McClellan, you, you kind of know a little something about that, don't you? It is reported, I don't know if it's fiction or fact, but the argument, the family dispute that still goes on today was over a pig. I'm talking about an all-out family war. All started out over a pig. But when you look at the Word of God and you come to understand Calvary, somebody say Calvary, is cross-cultural. It's multinational. It's non-geographical. Multi, multi-linguistic in every 
reason for every reason there are no barriers when it comes to the foot of the cross at the foot of the cross there is nothing that separates one individual from another individual it's more than a song but red yellow black and white we're all precious in his sight if you believe that say amen we look at calvary and we stand on common ground and the sacrifice that occurred there allows His blood to flow into every believer, thus creating a new race of people. It's called the redeemed. I'm glad to be a part of the redeemed. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I, I, I may upset some of you. I don't think I will, but, but I just need to remind you, God loves the sinner. The old saying is true. God loves the sinner, but He hates their sin. Never forget that God has the ability to dif differentiate between a person and their sin. God has that ability. Romans 5 and 6, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm glad He loves us in spite of our sin. He loves us while we live in sin. But at no times does he ever love or condone our sin. There's a big difference there. God is love. But God does not love sin. That is a thing that he hates. He hates the sin. But he loves the sinner. You and I, as his children, must pray that we develop the same ability. You may disagree with someone. You may not like their lifestyle. You may disagree with their lifestyle. But you can still love them as a person as Christ loved. When we love the sinner the way that God does. Then their sin will not keep us from reaching out. But will draw us to them. Jesus never asked for a person to be righteous before he would love or help them. I think sometimes we get it all. But we've got to get good to get God. We've got to get it all lined up. Before we ever start even attempting to try to have a relationship with God. No. When I look at the word of God. He transformed the woman at the well. While she was still living in adultery. We just heard about that Sunday. So, so masterfully by Brother Carpenter. But he reached out to the lepers. Who were a stigma in society. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. Even though she would be considered ceremonially unclean. He conversed with a man possessed of legions of devils. You may say, why? Because he loved people. All people. Regardless of the condition of their spiritual man. We who are filled with the Holy Ghost should love as strongly and indiscriminately as he did. Can I get a witness in this house right now? Hallelujah. God, is, God is, is not coming. It's here. There is a revival coming in. It's here at this church. There are prodigals coming home. There, there are people that are coming in with all matter of hangups and addictions and problems. And yes, they do have a past. And yes, uh, you, you know, they probably haven't made all the right decisions. But who are we to withhold our love and acceptance from them? 
God's trying to use the church to bring them back into the, into the fold, into the household of faith, where they can walk into an apostolic atmosphere like we've been having, fall at an altar, repent of their sins, and God restore them. That's the love of God. That's what love does. Hallelujah. We should greet the sinner with open arms. They ought to feel mercy, compassion, and acceptance anytime they come to the house of God. Had a, had a man, most, you may have seen him Sunday, he sat right over here. Named Sam. Sam's had a rough time over the last year. Sam showed up at my house Saturday night, knocked on the door. We were visiting with Brother Sister Carpenter. Knocked on the door and I, no, I noticed it was Sam, had a big backpack. Had a big, I don't know, some type of hubcap flopping behind him, and I said, man, Sam, how you doing? He said, I'm doing good, Pastor. He said, I just want to let you know I've, I, I, I've been getting some stuff out of the dumpster over here. I just wanted, wanted you to know that I've been getting some stuff. I said, Sam, if it's in that dumpster, you have anything you want. If you're man enough to get in that dumpster and dig it out, it's yours. I said, Sam, have you ate? Well, I ate earlier today. I said, are you hungry? I said, Sam, hold on just a second. I went to that kitchen. We just ate a nice meal. There was one piece of meat left. There was some mashed potatoes. And I walked out with a fork and a knife. I said, Sam, I know you're, you're out on the street. I don't know where you'll spend the night tonight. But I want you to take this food. And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to come to church in the morning. I believe God's got a word of encouragement for you. Man, I appreciate this. He took off off that porch. I didn't know if I'd see Sam again. Sam walked into this church on Sunday morning. Sam sat right over there, got connected. Brother and sister uh, Tillman took, them, took him out to lunch after church. Had a great time of fellowship. You don't know who's going to come in contact with you. You don't know who's going to knock on your door and your response to the sinner could determine their eternity. How they're going to view us as the church of the living God. I want them to believe we're the most merciful, compassionate, accepting people in all the city. If you want to be known by that, would you say amen? We've got to be that as the church of the living God. What do you mean? You mean we've got to love everybody? Absolutely, we've got to love everybody. You know what? I, I don't know where life's going to take. I, I, three awesome children. But they may leave. and They may, they may walk, walk out of these doors. I pray to God. I pray a hedge around them. But whatever city they walk into. Maybe they ain't got everything right. But I'd sure love to know there was an apostolic church somewhere in the city that they lived in. And if they decided to go back to church. They would say, come on in. Come on in. We're going to love you. We, come on in. We're going to restore you. We're going we're gonna to love you. We believe in you. That's the kind of church this church is going to be known for. Hallelujah. We put that to practice. We must extend to them the same unfettered love that was shown to us when we were yet sinners. I don't see any perfect people in this room. But the Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, But God commended His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. 
While we didn't have it together. While we were failures. While we were misfits. He said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to show you my love. And when you come to the full understanding of my love, you're going to know how precious my blood is. And how amazing my grace really is. God loves the church. Somebody say, God loves the church. It's interesting to note that in the, in the premier passage concerning God's feelings for the church, he uses the marriage relationship as a type of his relationship with the church. Ephesians 5, 22 through 32 speaks of the wife submitting to the husband and the husband honoring the wife. But in this text, we find a description of the incredible love that God has for the church. First of all, God loves the people in the church. Ephesians 5, 25-27, it said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. How else except that He loved the church supremely could he give himself willingly what other motivation but love could there be for the desire to have a glorious church a holy church without blemish without spot or without wrinkle in order to be pleasing to God we must love the people of the church but I love the church but I just don't like any other people that ain't, a, that ain't a real good church. That ain't, that, that, that's not a real good attitude. Let me say it like this. When the Lord was instructing the disciples concerning evangelism, He informed them that to what one of the strongest indications of discipleship would be. Listen to this. John 13. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this all men know that ye are my disciples if you love one to another. So if we're going to be known, if we're going to be known in the world and in the church, when people come in here, they're going to know if we love one another. They're going to know. But let me flip that. They're also going to know, man, I don't know what's up in that church, but man, I feel like there ain't something right. You ever walk? Ooh, I feel a spirit up in there. They don't, there's no love flowing. There's bitterness. There's unforgiveness. And there, there, we want to be known as the church that are disciples. Known because we have love one toward another. If that's what you want, say amen. Notice, he did not say that people would know because of the type building they were assembled in. What sign was over the, you know, out on the, out on the yard out there, and I love our sign, how they, it, it didn't even say how they looked or what they said. It was all in whether or not they loved and expressed love toward another. God help us. The epistle writers continued with the same teaching. Romans 13 and 8. Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9, but as touching brotherly love, ye 
need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. I don't know if you caught that or not. It's basically saying, need not I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. It's like one of them principles. God puts it in you to love somebody. God puts it in you to love one another. I don't have to, you know, necessarily tell, man, we ought to love everybody. When you get the baptism of his spirit, when he comes inside and resides in you, there is the nature of God in you. And it starts working and teaching and instructing. And it, love is a byproduct of his spirit. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love. Of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. First John 4, 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us. This just puts us all on the same playing field. For if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. And his love is perfected in us. This love for the brethren should also be without bias or prejudice. We aren't given liberty by God to selectively love folks in the church. We are not given that liberty to say, you know what? I'm going to love them, but I'm not going to love them. If anyone has the right, God does. Yet he loves all brethren equally. More churches are weak, anemic, and destroyed because people, because of people, more than any other reason. If the disciples in their day would be known by their love one for another, we should also be known for the very same thing. I love you. I appreciate you. You're welcome here. A mature Christian possesses a nature of love toward everybody. This is developed through the understanding that if we are to love one another, we must know one another. Your closest friends should be in the church. Your best fellowship ought to be with church folks. And your strongest defenses ought to be for and by those in the church. I've got your back. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're in this together. All too often we have churches full of acquaintances and not friends. I see you on Sundays. See you on Wednesdays, if you're at two services, I see you about two hours a day. And we see each other two hours a week. Sorry, two hours a week. 144 hours, I believe it is, in a week. And two of them are going to be spent together in this building. That's why it behooves us. Come a little early. Stay a little late. Hey, you want to go get coffee at, at Starbucks this week? You want to go? Hey, why don't, why don't we get together? Let's go out to eat. There are things that you can do as the body of Christ to get connected one to another. I know life is busy, but it behooves us. God's calling us that our church should be full more of friends than just acquaintances. It, it takes sacrificial of your time. It takes sacrificial, you know, sacrificing of your schedules. But when you do that, the church becomes stronger. The church becomes more vibrant because, hey, we've got common interests. We've got common, you know, things. Man, I, we're not so much different after all. I thought we were so much different, but we're not that different after all. That's what happens 
when we get together and we love one another. We love God more as we know more about Him. You'll love the people in the church more as you know more about them. The more you know, the more you love. God also loves the physical church. Although people are the living, vibrant part of the church, God also loves the facilities and the practices of the church. The first becomes evident to us in the construction of the Old Testament tabernacle. One of the finest building, buildings ever constructed. The finest building materials could ever be used. Everything was to be crafted according to God's design. It was to be meticulously maintained. It was a holy place where holy actions took place. Had the place not been acceptable in God's eyes, then the sacrifices and worship offered there would not have been acceptable either. The Old Testament tabernacle is in some ways a pattern of the New Testament church. God is still concerned with the facility where we worship at. We should have an incredible respect and reverence for the house of God. Somebody ought to say amen about right now. No, it isn't surrounded tonight with animal skins. The furniture is not overlaid with gold. Neither is there incense, candles, or showbread. But it is still the place where the Shekinah glory of God visits us on a regular basis. Not just once a year, but every time we gather, His presence is here. And I believe there ought to be a fresh respect for the house of God. If you believe that, say amen. Hallelujah. These altars are still a place of death and atonement. This is where we come and crucify ourselves. This is where we come and see people repent. This is where we see miracles take place. This is where we see restoration take place. Hallelujah. It is still the place where God chooses to gather His people for a place of intercession. It is still the place where ministry happens. I'm talking about the church of the living. In these four walls, our behavior in and toward the house of God ought to be motivated out of love. I love this place. How many loves this place? A lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into this building. A lot of sacrifices still going into this building. There ought to be a godly love inside of you. I'm proud I go to the Sanctuary Community Church. I love driving down Main Street. And when somebody says, well, who, who, what's the name of that big church down there on Main Street? Oh, I can tell you. where. Who, that's Sanctuary Community Church. That's where I go to church. And we say it with pride. Not in a, an arrogance, but man, I love my church. I respect my church. This, we, we got it going on with the help of God. We got good people. We got, man, you can come here and be saved from here. Hallelujah. Love demands that we are at our best in the house of God. Love demands we keep the house of God well maintained. Love demands that we respect the facility by not abusing the facility. Somebody say amen. The sanctuary. Especially ought to be treated with reverence. You come in here, there ought to be a, a reverence when you come in. When you walk in, it ought to be a holy hush. So there's times I walk in here, man, I'm walking. I come in. 
I just walked through praying. And I just, it happened today. I walked through that door over there. I walked through those doors. I was in work clothes. Had a hat on my head when I walked through that door. Oh my God. Woo. There was a reverence come on me. And I walked in this house. I said, God, this is your sanctuary. This is where you're going to meet us tonight. I walked around this front. I said, Lord, I never want to lose the reverence for the house of God. Never want to lose the respect for the holy. It's more than just four walls. More than just a building. This is where I've seen my family touch. This is where I, I, I've seen miracles. And I know I've already. This is where I see the anointing fall on just mere humanity as they lead us in worship and God moves in a mighty way. This is where lives are transformed. This is where people's sins are forgiven and washed away in a baptismal tank. It's not just a building. This is a, re this is a place of reverence that we come into and we love God and we worship Him. And as a result, His Spirit dwells here. Hallelujah. God loves righteous judgment. Everybody say righteous judgment. While God is a God of love, we must never forget that He is a God of judgment. Indeed, for God to be a loving God, He must be a righteous judge. No parent can hope to raise a child with love alone. It's still the truth anyhow. There must be firm yet fair discipline. Hebrews 12 and 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Without love and judgment working together, he will never be acceptable. We will never be acceptable in the eyes of God. Psalms 37 28, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints, but they are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. As difficult as it may be to understand, we must love the judgment of God. Oh, I don't want, no, no, no. I'm going to maybe change a little bit of your thinking about the, the judgment. Judgment, when it first appears, pierces our heart and spirit. We resist the attention that God is giving us because it is pointing out error or weakness in our life. But oh, we ought to be thankful that God loves us enough to judge us and to correct us now. Now, not later, but now, in God's righteous judgment, He's proven His love to us. In God's righteous dealing with it, no, it doesn't feel good. It, you probably have said this when you, you know, discipline your children. This is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. Really? <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24 in the message says, A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. I think we may, no, that ain't a thing. I, know, I believe the condition of our society right now is because we lost the authority inside the home with discipline. And it has produced a generation that doesn't know what it means to really be disciplined. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about godly authority inside the home that would discipline and it would produce something beautiful in the sight of God. Without the righteous judgment of God, we will die lost. B, 
being born again and serving God for years will never exempt you from doing wrong. But when you do wrong, you still need God to judge you and to correct you. David found this to be true when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. In the process of God restoring David, he stopped one step of becoming a reprobate. Reprobate, reprobate means literally and morally worthless, cast away, or rejected. David stopped one step from being called a reprobate. There are four steps to becoming a reprobate, and David went through four of them before he allowed judgment to work in his life. Number one, first of all, is conviction. That is a feeling that occurs in the heart that immediately lets us know that what we are about to do or what we are doing is wrong. You ought to thank God every time there's still conviction in your heart. David felt this when he walked on the rooftop and he looked where he shouldn't have looked. He looked away and in doing so, he overrode the conviction. David knew what he was doing. David, David knew what the law said. David knew what he was doing. David knew that, that Bathsheba had a husband and he was a man of war. He was gone to the battle when he wasn't. The first is conviction. Second, there's chastisement. Generally, chastisement comes from the Word of God, whether it by reading, preaching, or teaching. David knew that the law stated that adultery was sin. He was aware that such a thing was displeasing to God, yet he chose to override chastisement also. So not only did he walk across conviction, he walked across chastisement. Thirdly, there's an open rebuke. When an individual rejects conviction and chastisement, God will send an open rebuke. This occurred when David had vis was visited by the prophet Nathan who pointed his finger at him and said, David, thou art the man. In our lives, many times God will also point at us and say, thou art the man. You'll hear it through a scripture. You'll hear it through the preaching of the word. You'll, you'll you, you may even hear that from a friend, a trusted friend that will look at you and say, you know what? You ain't right. What you're doing is not right. God sends warnings in different shapes and sizes and through different means. But when this occurs, beware. Be aware that God is trying to save you. Surprisingly enough, although he was sorry, David did not totally allow open rebuke to alter thinking fourthly there's judgment therefore God sent judgment this was the price to be paid for his sin Nathan looked at David and declared this baby will die this child will die sin always brings judgment the product of David's sin would lose his life and still David continued on his journey toward reprobation. You may say tonight, how did David continue the journey toward reprobation? Because he did not accept the judgment 
of God. For seven days, David prayed and fasted that God would spare the baby. Incredible here. When you read this, here is God's anointed trying to bargain his way out of the judgment of God. What David was failing to realize was two things. That God loved him too much to judge him. If the baby had lived, it would have been a continual reminder of the sin David had committed. Finally, reprobation. Thank God David stopped before a reprobate mind could overtake him. When they knocked on the door and they told David that the child had died, the Bible said David came to himself. He arose and washed his head. Thus symbolizing a fresh start. He could have chosen to be bitter because of the judgment of God. But David chose to become better. It was after this that David would pen the 51st Psalm. A psalm of contrition and thankfulness for the judgment of God. If you ever find yourself being judged by God. I want you to remember these words tonight. God loves you too much not to judge you. God loves you too much not to judge you. You have already, number two, you have already overridden conviction, chastisement, and open open rebuke. Finally, you're one step from becoming a reprobate. I conclude. As I started in the beginning... It would be impossible to cover everything that God loves in one lesson. It would be impossible to think that we will ever adequately love everything that God loves. It will take a lifetime of knowing God and His ways to understand all that He loves. So here's here's my challenge to you as a church. Why don't we make it our life's endeavor to love Him Like never before. And in doing so. We will naturally. We will naturally begin to love the things. That he loves. If I fall in love with Jesus. We we sing a song sometimes. Falling in love. Falling in love with Jesus. It's the best thing that I've ever. I've ever done. That needs to be our prayer tonight. As we're dismissed. I want to fall in love with Jesus because when I do, I'm going to begin to love everything he loves. I'm going to love his people. I'm going to love his church. And I'm going to love his judgment because he loves me too much to let me die and go to hell. He loves me too much to be lost. If you believe that, say amen and stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Lord. I ask in this house that we would do what your word says. Let brotherly love continue. Lord, there are good men and good women in this church. There are great couples, God, that, are, that have joined the vision of this great church. There are people in their, in their journey with you, Lord, that are learning your nature, that are learning... Lord, what you love and what you hate. 
Now God, give us wisdom to discern. Give us wisdom to follow in your footsteps. As we love you more, we're going to love the people you died for more. We're going to love the saint and sinner alike. We're going to love your church and we're going to love the righteous judgment that you bestow upon us because you love us unconditionally. Now be with us this night, God. Be with us through this service. Lord, the services that will take place this weekend, let this service be a lasting impression upon us. Lord, I pray your anointing upon us this week.